Welcome to Futures Forum, mind-sharing ideas, innovations, and best practices. This episode is about what's new, what innovations do we see, and what ideas do they spark. For this conversation, we gathered industry experts from Hub, AWS, Modev, Google, Kaon Interactive, Opus Agency, NASA, Event Specialists, and the Charles Group. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to our Futures Forum, Season 2, Episode 5. So today we're asking, what's new? You know, in the face of adversity, humans get creative. We invent, we innovate, we evolve. And as planners, strategists, and creators, we respond to the evolving needs of our audiences. So today in our roundtable discussion, we're going to ask that question, what's new? What's getting you excited? What's the coolest tech or interesting innovation that you're seeing out there? How are our audience needs changing and how does it respond? And how do we respond? Right, in the face of adversity, humans get creative. We innovate, we invent, we evolve, and as planners, strategists, and creators, we respond to the evolving needs of our audiences. So today in a roundtable discussion, we're going to ask that big question, what's new? What are you seeing that's exciting, that's innovative, uh, that's doing new stuff, and how, how is it responding to our audiences? You know, how might we uh, unpack and apply that in our future events? We've got some, before we dive into that conversation, uh, yeah, I want to introduce some of those new and slightly less familiar faces. We're going to start with Dan Noak, who we're just teasing because he looks like a beetle. <laughs> I'll, I'll put on my Liverpudlian accent for you. Yeah, you <laughs> so Dan, do you want to introduce yourself? Say hi to the group, let us know where you are. Yeah, hi everyone. I'm, I'm Dan Noak. I'm based in Washington, D.C. I'm Chief Operating Officer of a company called Modev. Uh, we produce virtual events at the moment. We used to do a lot of live events. We're not doing a lot of those anymore, uh, but mainly virtual events uh, in the developer space, particularly around voice technology. Um, so some of our clients are people like Google, Netflix, uh, Adobe, probably the three biggest, where we're helping those businesses connect to the developer community. Awesome. We're really glad to have you here with us today, Dan. Um, we're also going to say hello again to Mahogany, who joined us earlier uh, in the season. But uh, it's been a few weeks, so we're going to say hi, Mahogany. <laughs> Want to reintroduce hey, everyone. <laughs> Mahogany Jones here, founder and CEO of Event Specialists. We're a hybrid event production company. I've uh, been producing hybrid events since 2008, so I'm actually kind of excited <laughs> that it's moving in that direction. Um, and it's encouraging that it's being forced and embraced at the same time. <laughs> uh, Howard, we haven't seen you this season yet, but we're really, really glad to have you back. Do you want to say hi and introduce yourself to the group? Sure. Uh, I'm Howard Stern. I'm Associate Director of Creative Services for Can Interactive. We create virtual marketing tools, which we actually created pre-COVID as well. Um, and so uh, we've seen quite a bit of an uptick in interest in uh, the idea of bringing interactivity out of the face-to-face -face realm into the interactive world. Um, and we specialize in creating in shortening the sales cycle and uh, first-person engagements or with marketing tools, virtual marketing tools. 
It's great to have you here with us today, Howard, because I think Happy it will help us to understand a lot of the cool stuff that we're seeing out there. <laughs> I, I think what I'll do then is kind of ask that first, what's new, what's happening question. And I'm going to turn first to Dan, because Dan, you did share with me that you've got some pretty cool stuff going on. Um, so just going to turn that question over to you, sir, and see uh, what you have to share with us, uh, tell us about yeah. It's been a really interesting journey the past uh, six, eight weeks in particular, because we we do a couple of things. We run our own events. We run our own conferences, which have for, a lot, for the large part have obviously turned from live events into virtual events. And then um, we figured out that workflow pretty quickly. We, were, we got pretty um, good at producing virtual events and, and remotely recording video at, the, at a base level. You know, what are we producing? We're producing video now. So we... Um, we built a video team from scratch. We worked with a lot of the live streaming community to build out those capabilities. We worked out how to record good quality audio and video without sending anyone there with bags of equipment or, or without selling film, sending film crews. So we got on top of that pretty quick. And then we were asked by Google to produce a virtual keynote event for Google Assistant. And that's coming up on October the 8th. Mm. And they were really clear that they wanted to put someone on a stage. And um, so when we started looking at that project, we were looking at how best to recreate that live event environment in a virtual world. And it, it turns out there's some really, really clever stuff that you can do, particularly with a game engine called Unreal Engine, which is um, uh, more often than not used to create video games. Uh, and we're actually at the moment recreating a virtual stage environment, uh, uh, recreating a, a stage from scratch so that involves obviously a lot of 3D design, which is pretty familiar to um, to the live event industry anyway. But then the actual build of that, the physical construction of that is happening within Unreal Engine. And then a lot of the recording process is taking place on uh, huge green screen stages, um, which are uh, very familiar to the movie industry. And uh, We've actually uh, engaged a VFX director called Rob Legato, who was probably, he's probably best known for creating all of the special effects on classic movies like Titanic and Apollo 13. The guy's an absolute genius. And so he's, he's really leading the development of, A, this Unreal Engine uh, 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 set um, and the build of all of that. And then obviously backing in his experience working in the movie industry to work out how you best capture people on a green screen where they can't see anything, they can't hear anything. Um, and the, the beauty of it all is that if you're directing that kind of thing, you're looking at a screen you're seeing a guy on a guy or girl on a green screen over here, and then you're looking into the monitor, and you're actually seeing them in the virtual world. So it's incredibly powerful, wow. uh, clever technology. So that's um, that's taking up a lot of time at the moment. But there's there's all sorts of things there that um, we've been working on. It's been a really interesting, as I say, six to eight weeks of just understanding what's out there and what's possible. That's incredible, Dan. The uh, I'm, I'm curious. One of the discussions that we've had in the group over the past few weeks is. How do you, and to what extent do you, give those performers real-time feedback from all of the activity that we now see in chat? And I've kind of seen arguments on both sides, like it's going to be too overwhelming to kind of see all of those immediate reactions, but then other folks are saying, well, actually, maybe they can switch up and react to that on the fly. So curious whether you've had any conversations around We've had a lot, and there's a lot of parts to that, right, as well. And I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's how much do you give them and what's useful. 
And, and so on one side of things, we're talking about how we best um, in, uh, uh, induce a performance in people. Because when people step on a stage in front of a crowd, you know, we've all here done it. You, 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 you're really alive at that moment and you're really ready to talk and you go in with so much energy. You're feeding off of that energy in the crowd. And of course, if you're on a green screen stage just with a, you know, a hairy crew there, you know, you, you're not getting that same energy and you're not, you're not, it's not eliciting the same performance. So we, a lot of what we're doing um, in the, with respect to what we're doing with Google and the virtual set that I just described is, is thinking about audio design as opposed to video design. The video and the, and the video workflow and the capturing and, and producing a video content really well understood, right? But, but the audio design is, is something where we think we can improve the experience both for the speaker and for the audience. So, um, so for a speaker, that might mean piping in applause. And, and that's something the MBA did very recently, I, I noticed, with um, a couple of those virtual, uh, virtual presentations where they're, I don't think it's actually live crowd noise, but they're, they're, they're pumping in artificial crowd noise into the, into the stadiums to help drive performance out of the players. And that's something that we're working on with Google at the moment, as I say, piping in that noise, that applause, trying to build that kind of energy, which elicits a certain kind of performance out, out of someone in what is otherwise a very dry and stale environment. And then uh, in, in terms of the actual event itself, um, a lot of what we do with live production at the moment is, is based around facilitating interaction. The only reason we do things live rather than, rather than pre-recorded, which is obviously technically um, way less risk, uh, is, is based around facilitating some kind of audience interaction. So mm -hmm. when we're doing live things at the moment, we're feeding them very, very select things because a presenter just cannot take all of this stuff. You know, we've got the social media sphere going on over here and then we've got live comments and chat from the audience and they just cannot take all of that in. So a lot of what we're doing when we're doing stuff live is just feeding them very, very specific things to react to. And, and we're actually taking a lot of our cues on from TV uh, in that sense. Like a lot of this stuff isn't new. We think a virtual event, we're coming to this all new, but of course people have been doing this for years and TV and radio facilitating live interaction. So um, we're taking a lot of cues from what happens in those industries, I guess. Ali just popped into the chat that she's hearing a lot as well um, about thinking about this performance as an extension of a TV or <laughs> a movie set, right? Where there are those moments of kind of, really weaving together the, the scripted, the live, uh, and the different levels of interaction. Neil, I'm curious to hear from you. I know that um, last week uh, we had talked a lot about speakers and, uh, <laughs> and how we kind of uh, help those speakers <laughs> in that moment. So I'm um, curious to hear your reactions to what Dan shared with us here. Yeah, I actually, um, there's a company in New York that um, we've been talking to that actually has that type of technology. And um, they, they did a demo for us, um, kind of showing how that works. And they basically took like a tour around New York and they were both in different rooms in, in different green screens, but they like one took the bus, one took the subway, they got to the meeting, they were sitting, you know, like they were talking to each other. Um, and so it really did kind of create a much, a, 
of any of the presentations I've seen from vendor technology, it was the, it was the first one where I was like, okay, wow, that 15 minutes went by really fast. That was really engaging. Um, so I, I've seen that, you know, I've seen that demoed and I think that that's, that's going to be where, especially for our larger budget or larger meetings that have even larger budgets and, and more runway. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that and um, it'll, uh, It'll definitely increase our, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, it'll basically, it's going to add some drama to these. Otherwise, you know, everybody's in, I mean, you know, in their house presenting and, you know, it's like, and I do like the virtual backgrounds because I do find speakers when I'm looking, I'm like, oh, that's a nice view out their window or oh, look at that poster. You know, it's like, you know, you're kind of you're getting that window into everyone's kind of world. Right. So I do think that that'll it'll hopefully enable speakers to feel more creative and be able to add more energy into their presentations. Okay, um, I will share something else. Actually, I can't share this with you, but I do want to share that I um, we just recently completed a um, voice of the field uh, for what attendees are looking for in virtual events. And we had over mm -hmm. 6000 people um, apply back. And one of the things that we're seeing is that the features that they want the most and that they feel is is lacking the most in the technology today is networking. It was very, very, very clear. Mm. They really felt like um, the technologies today don't really do um, networking. And then the next one was um, uh, using polls and other interactive features as part of the content and presentation was the second highest ranked. Um, what was interesting is that the least ranked were um, wellness opportunities and group opportunities, uh, virtual happy hours and things like that. So um, I just thought that was uh, interesting that came across my desk um, this morning. And then when we had the top the topic today, I said, well, we'll just add a little data out there around what what okay. what 5,000 field people said. <laughs> well, it's interesting that the uh, uh, people are not associating virtual happy hours with that networking function or even the wellness opportunity with an opportunity to uh, connect and network uh, with others. Um, I think it's I think it's really interesting that idea of the networking component. I mean, you know, Zoom has the breakout room capacity and it's about how you apply that appropriately, right? So you could break out 50 people into an environment and then you just have like this free for all of people chatting over each other. Um, my wife actually, she works in live events and for, you know, like the day of live events and uh, entertainment and very early on in this, they, they decided to go. And I think it's it very much in line with what we're talking about, this idea of it being a little bit more theatrical, a little bit more of a stage production, right? Where you could do things in your home, but it feels very lo-fi. And if you're really trying to hit that higher audience, you've got to get it into a place where the production value steps it up a little bit because everybody can go on to a Zoom call and you know be interrupted by a dog or a kid or whatever it may be. So how do you how do you elevate it? And part of what she did was a pre-recorded event, but also had this at the as everybody was entering, it was a mingling session, and they did breakout rooms where she would take and curate you know her guest list of five to six people and drop them in a breakout room with an individual performer and have that individual performer interacting with them. But the performer was really just like wallpaper in the background. They were pinned, but they were trying to encourage conversation between people. And, they, and it was interesting, they found that like that 
three to five person room could really interact. You know, they could talk because talking over each other was less of an issue at that point um, because obviously the way, and I'd be curious to hear how Dan is handling the, the technology side of it with the home user. Cause I see what you popped in about like not getting a satellite truck or not dropping off equipment at people's houses. Um, which is interesting because especially with the way something like zoom handles audio and I heard you talk about audio. So I'm actually curious to hear a little bit about what your, your, I mean, obviously the secret sauce can't talk about, but what, uh, you know, what you're doing to be able to enable that home user to have a better experience. Yeah. And, um, partially it is video and it's just better, better remote capture of audio and video. We actually work with the technology that is open source. It's called, so um, this, the secret source is already out there is uh, a codec called SRT, which was developed, uh, and released about a year ago now by a company called high vision, uh, enables us to capture in some instances 4k video totally remotely just by leveraging the fact that people most people if you've got an anywhere near an up-to-date iphone or even my old iphone xr is capable of capturing video in 4k with pretty decent audio and so we're leveraging that fact everyone's got broadcast quality camera in the pocket now it's really just you on the back end working out what technologies will interface with that and allow you to transmit over public internet and that really is the that really is the crucial part. I think, you know, I posted in the chat that broadcast, traditional broadcast workflow is based around let's send a satellite truck and a crew to this location. We know we can't do that from a safety perspective at the moment. So, you know, how best do we capture that over public internet? And there are technologies out there that are in the world that are for the most part free to use that enable that. Um, there's some very clever workflow tricks in terms of the audio design. Um, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of, a, uh, of an example that um, I saw um, on a virtual theatre piece. It was produced by a company called Complicite, who run by a wonderful theatre maker called Simon McBurney, who trained at Lecoq in Paris, Paris which is, a, Lecoq is um, basically the clown school, the clown school. Jacques Lecoq was the original French clown. And he's very much into creating these wonderful, visceral, immersive experiences um, and their theatre piece, and I didn't expect them to do a virtual theatre piece, but they did. And and he actually um, uh, put a binaural head on the stage. A binaural head is something um, that's produced by Sennheiser. It's been out on the market for several years, and and it replicates the way the the, the human ears work. And so you can whisper into each side of this binaural head and it will, it will pan the audio and, and mix the audio in a very particular way. And then when you broadcast that, you get a sensation of, of um, it, as long as you're wearing headphones, you get a sensation of somebody whispering in your ear or even tapping you on the side of the head. And the whole theater piece was produced and recorded using this binaural head. And it was, I was sat with my wife on the sofa watching it. It was three hours long. And, and I've seen theatre pieces, I've tried to invest in theatre and theatre tickets for virtual productions as much as I can, but ultimately I find myself getting a bit bored. It's just not the same, the experience is just not the same as sitting in a theatre. But the way they did this and the way Complicite did this, I, for the life of me, I can't remember the piece, I'm sorry, but um, the way it was produced from an audio perspective made it. And we often talk about, I know internally at Modev, we talk about the audio production actually being more important than the video production. People will happily put up with substandard visuals as long as the audio is crystal clear and really well produced so it's a really counterintuitive thing but we're finding a lot of truth mm. in it. so i think for us it's a combination of you know what are the right technologies to use to capture in high quality it's definitely a case of doing less but doing it better so not focusing on volume 
And then thirdly, it's using some of the tricks that are out there, either in the movie industry, in the theatre industry right now. Everyone's trying to figure this out. Some really creative people trying to do um, some really clever things with remote broadcast. But ultimately, I think it comes back down to the fact that the things that really work from an immersive perspective and creating that uh, uh, elongating people's attention spans are actually more often than not really, really simple tricks that don't cost a huge amount to do that aren't particularly difficult to, to achieve rather than trying to back in a live event scenario into a virtual event scenario. As you say, putting hundreds of people in a room together, letting them all go at it, it's never going to be engaging, but maybe we can make the best of the medium in different ways. And maybe we don't have to retrofit an event into a, into a video production environment. And that's yeah, one thing really interesting about um, the, that idea is that you're playing on the senses a little bit more, right? And kind of three, uh, approaching 360 spatially through the sense of hearing, which is really uh, interesting. Uh, that, that's fantastic. I think we're gonna continue this conversation in, in just a moment, but with that idea of kind of immersion and almost uh, reactive as a way of engaging audience, I wanted to uh, just turn over to Lauren. Uh, Lauren Katz is the head of exhibits and artifacts at NASA and ask you Lauren I know that you've been on your own journey to uh, just kind of delve into the world of what might <laughs> a touch-free immersion <laughs> look like. So what are you seeing out there that's exciting or new? So thank you so much and I think earlier in the spring we had talked with this group and even with the Untethered at the Untethered conference about how do we really create a touch-free immersive experience in a live event? Um, what do we need to be mindful of? How do we you know, have meaningful experiences when we can't really get near people or near objects? And that was such a, a rich conversation. Where we are now is we're still sort of like, okay, we're, we're putting a toe into these um, virtual conferences where it, it's, it's usually VFairs, it's a limited platform, we, we have a limited amount of space, and we're really constrained. But knowing that, there still will be opportunity for some in-person engagement. So thinking about the, the historic launch that NASA had at the end of May from Kennedy Space Center, there were people there, um, you know, limited, not quite the celebration we had hoped. There will be other crude launches, and just thinking about, okay, what what can we do? How do we have these oh wow experiences without that um, physical interaction? So I just put in the chat, um, it's, it's, if you could link to that, this is something that my management saw and said, Lauren, can you go chase this down? Because this is super cool. And you may have to watch you know, a little bit of it, but I definitely think it's worth it. But basically, it's um, an experience where you simulate what it's like to walk on the moon. So we looked at this and said, oh my goodness, you, you can have a meaningful experience. You don't have to touch anything. You don't have a stylist. You don't have to touch anybody, but you can still have this wow, incredible experience. Naomi was so gracious that within like two minutes, she connected me with um, the lab that created this and we're talking tomorrow, but just wanted to share thinking about how does this group, because I think this is such an interesting group, continue to think of ways to create when there is limited opportunity for in-person um, experiences, how do we continue to make those meaningful? Because there's nothing worse. I think this group would definitely agree in forcing something to happen and it's just a disappointment. Um, or forcing something to happen 
and then we just don't feel safe. So I definitely am not rushing back to doing in-person exhibits and in-person events, but I saw this and this sort of was like, wait a minute, there, there's something here, and obviously the content, it was what sparked the idea because it's space related, um, but I just, I'd love to hear your perspective on what else is out there that we can share and mine and continue to think about um, how do we create meaning in, in our, our limitations right now? That's a great question. And I'm, I'm curious, um, Mahogany, you said you have been producing hybrid events since 2008. <laughs> so in, within those hybrid events, how have you uh, accommodated people both live and virtual and created those moments for them to potentially interact with uh, mm -hmm. content and one another? One thing that we always looked at was what technology can we use to sort of at least mimic an experience that you're doing and allowing both parties either in person or online to get the same experience. If you're doing polling, for example, poll both audiences. Um, general reminders, and this is something that I feel like, I don't wanna say we take for granted, but it's definitely something you see, is even just reminding your speakers to acknowledge both audiences. Making sure that everyone is speaking with each other Something else that we started to do a fair bit, which was more sales meetings, was bringing different hubs together, is the micro experience, which existed pre-COVID, but bringing that back with an element of um, intimacy. So creating these micro experiences so that each location, under 25 people or whatever your comfort level is, can have some sort of something special for them and then bring everyone together. So there's a video camera in each location so that on screen, everyone feels like they're at least together. So we're giving a little bit more of a hub and spoke model that brings everyone together. Which is interesting, that kind of ties us back through to um, the question that Howard had raised about these smaller groups. And you know, I think that feels to be almost the safer space that as we think about applying what we're mastering in the virtual world and applying it to hybrid, it's uh, beginning with those um, smaller experiences, micro experiences, right, Mahogany? <laughs> I think it's that idea of connection that everybody's missing, right? We, we, I think we, we touched upon this very early on in season one, where you know, that was like the immediate loss. That's the death that we all felt, right? Is that where did all that interpersonal communication go? That ability to network, that ability to just, the random experience that you have with somebody that you met at an event or at a show or just even walking down the street that sparks a conversation that takes you someplace. And um, some of the stuff that I've seen, and you know, we can get into that later, but that is, that's the thing that I, I connect with the most is that more interpersonal level. And we're seeing from our customers is they're asking us how how do we recreate that and um, it's a I, I think it's an overwhelming need and that idea and I think you know that mahogany that point that you said about acknowledging both audiences is critical because when we do get back into that space where you know people are actually showing up at events I think the events will be smaller a more curated audience on the in-person stuff but then remote those other audiences are still gonna to need to feel like they're engaging in something special. And mm -hmm. that idea of being able to bring them together in some format is, I think, a, a critical element. Thank you, everybody, for joining today. That, as always, brilliant conversation. The time went by really quickly. <laughs> but I so appreciated everybody's uh, time and insights and thoughts. And I look forward to seeing you all again soon. <laughs>